Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. We are live with you, and it's always nice to be alive with you. You know, I, I try to say it different live. It just doesn't work out. It just sounds weird when I do it, right? It just feels good to be uh, here with you tonight. So uh, let me do this real quick because in about 25 minutes from now, our friends in Canada, we're going to do a live connection with them, which we do about uh, 1230 Central Time. It's 1030 p.m. on the Pacific, and that's where Shane Hewitt joins us for the late shift, and we connect all of Canada and the United States. Just a really cool thing to do there. 314-436-7900. And I spent the most part of last hour giving you a memory of my former beloved teacher, the greatest teacher in the history of teachers. And I don't even have to worry about saying that with any lack of confidence. You know, I have a hard time when someone says, hey, come up with your top whatever. I want to sit and I really want to think. It's like I want to put a list together, my pros and cons. And sometimes it's hard. Someone could even say, Hey, what's your favorite food? And I'll sit here and I'll think for a while without being able to give an answer. And I think, no, I have to give the right answer, as in I'm going to give the answer that is 100% correct to me. I don't want to give something and then later regret that I said that. So I'll sit and I'll think. And it may sound indecisive, but I'm very analytical in that sense. If there was an answer to the greatest teacher in the world, I didn't have to think about that one. And if you missed that, uh, we posted it up on the podcast, and you can go back in the Radio Rewind link. So some of the developments over the weekend, the Hunter Biden thing, yes, it's still a thing. So I wanted to give you a couple of notes of what's happening next. Apparently, there's some other emails that may be surfacing. Um, Twitter still has the New York Post locked, as far as we know, because you go normally when your account has issues or whatever it is that they'll put it on some kind of warning and you're not allowed to post during that time. And it's been a couple of days since they have posted. So that indicates they're probably on some sort of warning. Now, this is part of the the problem with it. What if these stories are true? Now, does Twitter have all of a sudden a bigger newsroom than all of the other networks combined that they were able to determine this immediately and then be able to stop this? Or is it possible that there was some sort of internal bias that did not have a checks and balances and they reacted 
on something they shouldn't have reacted to in this sense. And that's why I think a lot of people are very skeptical that the powers that the social media networks and the you know the big tech companies like Google and them, the powers that they have right now, that they're not properly in check, as in there's something there that the, and, and keep in mind we know that they don't they can't really police themselves, so this is why I think some of these different committees are looking into it so close to an election too, but I wanted to give at least an update on what's going on with this thing because some people are very skeptical. And it's okay to be skeptical with a story like this. You're starting to find that some of these things are being independently verified. And the latest that I found interesting in all of this was an interview with Senator Ron Johnson with Maria Bartiroma this weekend on Fox News. Now, let me play uh, Senator Johnson in setting up what's going on here and what his concerns are. Blue Star Strategies, a Democrat-led lobbying firm that represented Burisma uh, and you know, in the United States, you know, trying to get the United States to look favorably on this very corrupt oil company and its corrupt owner. And so what uh, we subpoenaed them for all their records having to do with Burisma and, and you know, their, their actions with the federal government, uh, we reached out to them after we heard about these and asked them, did you fully comply? And then on uh, October 15th, we saw an email that should have been responsive to our, our subpoena that we did not receive. And this email describes a December 2nd, 2015 conference call hosted by the White House to discuss Vice President Biden's upcoming trip to Ukraine. Now, what's important about that, that would have been the trip, we believe, where Vice President Biden you know, made basically uh, laid down the ultimatum, either fire Shokin or you're not going to get a billion dollar uh, loan guarantee. And so this should have been responsive. We should have gotten this. And we're trying to, to, to then verify, is that a valid email? Is that correct? We should have gotten it. But right now we're just trying to uh, validate, is that a true and genuine email that came out of off of uh, Hunter Biden's uh, uh, computer? Because then it helps validate the fact that that is, in fact, Hunter Biden's computer or, you know, data downloaded from uh, Hunter Biden's computer. OK, so if, hopefully you followed along there. This is the interesting part of it, because when you're trying to validate or you're trying to do an investigation to see if these are actually emails and it's not just some sort of uh, disinformation campaign. Tommy, this is interesting. So the company, the Blue Star, what is it called? He said it at the very start. Um, Star Strategies. Blue Star Strategies. So part of a subpoena back then when they were doing a look into this, they requested all these documents which were not turned over. The laptop emails were released, and then... Oh, all of a sudden we found it. Here, we're going to turn it over now. Why would this organization then all of a sudden, oh, okay, now we have it. Wait until after these emails from Hunter Biden are released. If they weren't true, let's say this is just all a giant mis disinformation, foreign entities, whatever it is. Why would all of a sudden these documents that include the meetings of Joe Biden go in the dark up until they were relevant and all of a sudden they were known as from a second source. Could it be possible that they were turning over information that they thought um, could, you know, I don't know, get them in trouble? Could it be if, let's just say hypothetically, that this is true, 
in this Democratic-led organization, this blue whatever, what is it called again, this blue something strategies? Blue Star Strategies. Blue Star Strategies, let's say in coordination with the White House and this, at the time, the Obama administration, were purposely withholding documents. And let's say the Obama administration was also actively engaged in withholding subpoena documents unlawfully. See, there's another wrinkle to all of this now. Let's say that organizations continue to dig into this to try to verify the emails, and they can independently verify the emails, some of which were requested from these organizations as part of the subpoena that were never turned over. And then what happens? Is it possible that once this is found out, and let's say it does get found, let's just say it does, then is that just the tip of the iceberg? Is this just an indication of a larger cover-up? That's huge. But the thing that's interesting of all of this is as they're trying to verify emails, as some of the emails get out to this committee in the Senate with Senator Ron Johnson, i got to double-check which committee that is. I don't think it's the Judiciary Committee. It's, it's like maybe Foreign Intelligence or something. But let's just say some of these emails start to be confirmed based on the original source within the White House and the administration at that time, the Obama administration, then if they're a credible source because they're one of the people as a source, could it be possible that it means all of these emails are true? See, this is this could get very, very messy very quickly, and it's absolutely worth looking into. As, as you just do not dismiss this right away. This is Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. In Overnight America's here, 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 here for, let's see, up until 2 o'clock. So we've got about an hour and a half or so, and our friends in Canada will be doing a live connection with them here in about, uh, oh, 11 minutes or so. So I always look forward to that. 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. There's a couple of other parts that I wanted to bring out with Senator Ron Johnson. And Maria Bartiromo, I thought, did a good job laying out these things. Let me, bring, let me play this one part. That is one of the most important parts of this scandal, the fact that the mainstream media and social media are hiding information from the American public about payments to a major presidential candidate's son, And they're hiding that 16 days before the election. I agree with you. Senator, I want you to connect the dots for us in terms of national security risks. That's why you started this investigation in the first place, to check for any national security threats. Are there national security issues? Remember, everybody justifying the the investigation, the false allegations against the Trump campaign was, can you imagine the national security threat, the, the threat of blackmail against a sitting president if these connections are true? Well, Take whatever was alleged that was proven false against President Trump and multiply that by orders of magnitude of just what we've scratched the surface in terms of um, uncovering of this vast web of connections with Chinese nationals, ties to the China, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, the People's Liberation Army. You know, I said that our report raised far more questions than it answered. This requires detailed investigations on the part of the Justice Department, on the part of the FBI, on the part of the media. And that's not occurring. So why is this being covered up? Why is this not being talked about? This is a major news story because if you have all this, these vast webs, all these connections, 
this could be used as blackmail against a potential uh, Biden presidency far in excess of anything that was ever alleged against Donald Trump. Okay, so that's more or less opinion by Senator Ron Johnson, as in this is why it's important and this could be, you know, worse than Donald Trump. But the last thing they bring up as part of this is also very conspiratorial, but fascinating to me because there's something else that's going on here within the FBI. And the question is, is this boilerplate FBI uh, just they always do this? This is what it's it's always on there. Or is there more to it? Is there a reason why they're investigating this angle to it? Listen to how Maria Bartiromo sets this up. And there is a further analysis of the subpoena's handwriting, and it suggests that the subpoena was served by an FBI agent uh, who, uh, his name is Joshua Wilson, and over the last five years, he has been working on child pornography issues. Connect the dots. If an FBI agent is working on child pornography issues for five years, why is he uh, subpoenaing the uh, laptop of Hunter Biden? Is there a connection here? Should this suggest that there's a child pornography issue here on that laptop? Okay, now this is big. So now the question becomes, why would they investigate that? And we know that they're looking into it. Is it is is it relevant to the material that may be on this? Does it speak to the nature of the validity of the laptop? So let's just say maybe it's a exploratory and they just want to double check things or make out things. Maybe it's just completely coincidental. It has nothing to do with anything else. You know what I see online? Uh, the, and this is what normally happens where people will say, Hunter Biden, he is not running for office. So why are you given and going through all of this as a way to, you know, damage his father and his reputation? It really has nothing to do with him. Okay, well, if it's true that some of the payment that was given to Hunter Biden was transferred over to Joe Biden or directly given to Joe Biden, because something that Fox confirmed was that they did these code names and Papa Bear got 10% or whatever it was, they were divvying up the money or whatever the payment was. That was one of the emails that were actually confirmed. So they said, no, Papa Bear is Joe Biden. So let's just say a Ukrainian gas company, or in some times you can say the, the Chinese government or whatever it is, when giving payment to Hunter Biden, someone that is completely underqualified, someone that had some major dependency issues, would be unreliable for any position on anything, has no knowledge, just basically had the ability to be lucky enough to have the last name Biden. Let's say whatever they decide to agree on, and part of which there's a percentage that goes to Joe to facilitate, as in, hey, um, whatever it is, you got to do this for my son, or who knows what the speculation may be. But let's say there was a payment, and it wasn't laundered through Hunter Biden, some of it went directly to Joe Biden, then it becomes a Joe Biden story. Now, I know the indirect side of things would say that it's not a Joe Biden. Oh, it's just it's coincidental. That could be more than that. And that's why this story shouldn't go away yet. I think there's more legs to it. And you just don't know. You just don't know. But then again, it could be nothing. It could be all made up. 
the people that put this laptop together could have realized we can connect the dots with real life events and we could say, OK, Joe, we know Joe Biden was here at this time. So we'll email it. We'll, we'll put it this way. We'll put some fake emails in here. So if so, a researcher comes out to try to verify this, then then all of a sudden they'll call us, which, you know, we'll be able to verify and it'll just be, you know, false positive. And we'll just do all this. We'll go through all of this effort. And we'll do all of these things. The interesting thing is if the Breitbart story from the weekend is true, that one of the former Hunter Biden business associates, disgruntled and now in prison, decided to flip and release these emails to the FBI, that could be one way to verify some of these things. Further emails could be one way to verify it. The FBI's own forensics could be a way to verify it. Will the FBI come out and definitively say something? Remember how that happened last election with James Comey and how they regretted that he came out for a day and said, oh, we're going to look into it. Now we're not. Um, if anything... Maybe you do it now as opposed to waiting a couple of days before the election. Who knows? But either way, this stuff is, if it's true or not, it's necessary for the FBI to come out there and at least acknowledge that they have something and acknowledge that they're investigating and acknowledge if it's true or false. As in, they can come out and say, We've, we haven't been able to verify any of this, but they haven't done any of these things. What if it is true? I don't think it goes away just yet. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to our friends up in Canada. I don't know if they're going to bring this up. I'm sure we got a lot of other things to talk about. And that's Shane Hewitt on The Late Shift next on Overnight America KMOX. You know, I really screwed up when it came to judging my time and trying to get back before we hook up with our friends in Canada and The Late Shift. Shane Hewitt, who may be listening to us right now and making fun of me for not being able to manage time correctly. Shane, are you there? Oh, maybe not. Oh, they're talking to a guest. Oh. Oh, they're talking to a caller. They probably... Um, we got a in a little here. early, Ryan. Oh, I know, Shane. I screwed early. up big time. You know, I was I tried to get into break, and I misjudged my time. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. We got in early anyway, so it was a bit of a cluster on both sides. So how you doing, Ryan Recker? Very good. It's good to hear your voice. Uh, you feeling good? Oh, I'm feeling good. Took a little time off last week. Had some writing to do, some planning, and uh, oh, cool. and all those things, and... Um, still got a little allergy, allergy thing going on here, which is, uh, kind of crappy. But aside from that, things are, things are all right. How's, uh, how's everything down in St. Louis? Hey, you know, it's cold and gloomy and I, sh I always, uh, forget to bring up the conversion between Fahrenheit and Celsius, but chilly, but I'm thinking that's par for the course in Canada. We've been going up and down lately. So we'll have temperatures that are cold. Then we'll have temperatures that are nice and then it'll be cold and then it'll be nice. That's our last couple of weeks. And it is just killing everyone's sinuses. And, you know, people are walking around with sore throats right now because of the temperature swings and things. It's just it's basically this time of year in, in St. Louis isn't the greatest. Hmm. So about uh, six degrees Celsius uh, is what it is now. Forty three Fahrenheit is what I see. Yep, uh, that's for you right. guys, that's chilly. Wow, that's wet and chilly. Hey, that is chilly. Wet and chilly. Huh. You said you're writing. I didn't know you were a writer. What kind of things have you been working on? Um, I write. I, I write poetry, um, but that's not what I was working on. I do a lot of um, work with helping people understand conversation. So, without getting too deep into it and shamelessly sales pitching myself, which I will happily do any other time, um, <laughs> is that. So for me, the way that I always describe it is I always say the smallest little words will change your life. And um, if you want to change your life, change the way you speak to people. And if you want to change uh, your life, like seriously, like succeed in life, you need to change the way you speak to yourself. And hmm. um, it's not about anything fancy. It's not about big words. It's just, 
indications about understanding how time works and how words work and how these, the things we say to ourselves in our head have a big impact on our lives. So I love sharing that with people. It's a big fundamental piece of how I do this show of trying to sort of embrace people that are sort of negative and hurting. Um, and, uh, and yeah, since you asked, that's what I, that's what I do. You, it sounds like a Ted talk. Uh, well, maybe I do, I do keynote speaks speeches. So, um, that would be a thing. That's cool. But I've never done well, that. That would be a great TEDx. thing. Wow, that's uh, actually getting in on the keynote circuit. That's the way to do it. That's like a great well, source of uh, notoriety and things. Year, well, not late. A year ago. <laughs> a year ago, everything was good up until then. Yeah. So do you have like a special Remember the outfit, old days? A stage outfit? You know, oh. We could go out and we could go and see people and hug them and say hi. Remember those old days? Oh, man, yeah. You'd see pictures of yourself on Facebook memories that pop up and you say, wow, look at that. Not a mask in sight. <laughs> Yeah. So oh, oh, yeah. That's well, tell me what's going on in your world, Ryan. Why, Ryan Recker? We've got um, you have an election coming up. It must be just overwhelming tsunami of information and politicking going on in your world. It's like that all the time. In the United States, they start their campaigning years in advance. You know, it's not like other countries that kind of have a you know, a certain window, a period where everyone gets into it and it's just right before an election. No, 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 no. They start, they uh, really get a running head start and they use this. It's like a nonstop turnover, a flow of political news. But this just happens to be like the end of a season, right? Like when you get to the end of a season, they're going to leave you on a cliffhanger. There's going to be some big thing that happens. It's like in a television show. That's basically where it we're at. It is like a TV show. Yeah. And do, we um, do the- are are trying to like cycle through a lot of, you know, there's so many stories that come up and they always come in late. They call them an October surprise. So you wait for those big stories to drop right before an election to try to give a candidate a little bit of an extra, you know, leg up or give their opponent something that's a, a big pie to the face. But we're at that point where they're starting to drop. We had one last week. Uh, when it came to an, uh, a, a laptop at Hunter Biden, which is Joe Biden's son, which is kind of a storyline that we've been following throughout this for a while. The validity of it still in question, but some real fascinating things that could be true. Then there's um, other aspects of Donald Trump, of course, just coming off the COVID. And, you know, is there going to be another health outbreak with the COVID numbers rising? There, there's so many things going on right now. Yeah. He's a hell of a dancer, though. Did you see that meme? Making its way around. I did see it. He was I thought he was going to fall that off the stage. Good. You see how close he got to that? I know, but you know, and I, I wish I could make fun of him. I really do. But the reality is, is that's like my repertoire that he was working. So I can't yeah, even make fun dance of moves. I am also good. not someone that would ever dance in public. I know that I, there's not a lot of things that would shame me to do in public. I just know that it's not a good combination. In fact, it's less awkward for me to just stand there and not do anything. For you, for everyone else watching it, though, it's either going to be extremely awkward, like when you watch a comedian pick on someone in the audience, or it's going to be awesome because they're going to enjoy <sighs> it. Maybe they enjoy Wait, it. Maybe ha- you're a great Have dancer. you um, ever been that guy in the audience a comedian has picked on? No, I will never go um, sit at the front. And if I have a mm-hmm. couple of friends that are comedians, and they, they, we, they know, look, I feed them jokes and bits and things, and I want no credit. Um, but I am not a target when I'm there because they know full well that they'll be a target here if that's the case. So, <laughs> is that right? Well, you got to know. Have what, you done uh, it? 
the high probability of you're going to be the one getting it or not. We used to have like this one radio station I worked at in my first job in Ohio had a small comedy club in the city. And we had this sort of agreement where the comedians would come in and they would promote their shows on the radio station. And it was fun for us because, you know, it's good content and you never knew who the comedians were. Like there, there were never like top name billing type of deal, but it was still fun because, you know, they were, it was just fun to have that. And we would go to the comedy clubs on the first night, which is always historically the slowest night the one that they didn't sell out on. And you would go and you'd do your thing, and we'd always have to sit in the front because those are the seats no one else wanted. So you would have to sit front and center for these comedy shows. And, um, yeah, one time I did get picked on by a comedian. They didn't know who I was at the time and that they would have to come on my show the next day. But it was, uh, you know, it was okay. I guess you'd, you'd take it in fair stride. <laughs> well, we deserve it usually, like in some ways. Um, you know, just because it's... Um... It might sting a little bit. Doesn't mean it's not true, right? Um, a little bit of burn yeah. here and there wasn't isn't so bad. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I don't. I always get feel awkward. I'm like, oh, that poor guy is getting picked on, right? Oh, I know. But the makeup I, of a radio station, um, by the way, with the way people dress, I don't know if it's the same way in Canada or not, but I would say if you were to put a percentage on percentage of people that dress professionally casually and then dress like a bum i would say professionally here at least what i've recognized in most places might be um 10 percent casually but could pass as you know they could go to a like a nice lunch meeting or whatever but they're not like formal might be uh 50 and then the rest of them yeah. dress like bums so we might be at like 40 percent bums what's the breakdown of the radio stations you've worked at well i would say that um if I can remember what it's like to work at a radio station, um, the yeah, it's about the same numbers, right? Like you got all the the business people, the important people that could afford a nice shirt. They they wear nice shirts and stuff like that. Um, and then the talk radio folks always tend to, you know, dress a little more professionally for some reason. I have no idea. I say this as I'm literally in my pajamas with a hat on backwards while we do the show. <laughs> just to be clear, um, and um, and then then you kind of get you kind of get the creative writers and you know some of the accounting people and promo people. They're way more casual, uh, not even business casual, but just passable. And then mm -hmm. um, and then the homeless people are usually the the on air staff. Uh, yep, usually. Yeah, uh, and normally they are. And you ever seen anyone move faster than the email that goes out that there's free food inside of the conference donuts. room or something? It's like then everyone yeah, moves. Yeah, pizza or donuts or whatever. Yeah, all those things. Mm -hmm. I'm also in the same situation. I got the sweatpants. I wear like the pajamas, kind of like you know, just a a, a t-shirt. I don't dress up like if I were going into an actual physical building, which is strange because for the kids that are going and doing virtual classes right now, they want them to dress like they're going to school. Well, I think it's a good thing. I do. I there was I had a meeting last week that I I got dressed for. Um, I mean, there have been times where my Zoom camera turns on and I see myself and I'm like, whoa, I gotta put something on here because my hair is out to here and I haven't had a haircut in so long and um, and it just like so I there have been I've caught myself going, oh geez, like this is important. I should probably do something here. I've let my beard go, um, but yeah, I. <laughs> the, that camera comes on, but if you have the odd meeting, you know, you, you uh, put something nice on. Maybe a, yeah, a, I noticed a clean too, hoodie. Uh, 
Like sometimes this will become a national story is there's a teacher that notices something in the background of the kid's room or their house or whatever, and they will have to report it to whatever administrator or they report it in some cases to the police. And that's been somewhat controversial in the sense that what goes on inside of the house, even things that would be absolutely legal for it to be inside the house there could mean your kid gets in trouble in school. Well, and yeah, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone to a psychologist, um, but psychologists, especially with children, have to report, right? So mm -hmm. everything that happens with a psychologist is confidential, but if anything dangerous or illegal gets reported, that conversation has to start. I would imagine it'd be the same for the teacher. Can you imagine if it went the other way, though? I realize it's a fine line of privacy, right, about like, hey, this isn't your, this isn't your jam here, but can you imagine um, if you didn't report it and then found out after the could you sleep at night not like if the teacher didn't say anything well i didn't want to cause any trouble and then all of a sudden something went terribly wrong in that house Ooh, so the the caution level so where's that line of the caution so what yeah. what do you report not but that's fascinating about schools do they have normally a psychologist on hand to talk to the kids at uh, schools in canada no, no. I mean, some of them do. Um, there's counselors, of course, at school. I don't think they're actually trained psychologists. Um, you know, trained psychologists would, if I understand this correctly, have a PhD, right? Like, so they have two degrees. Um, and then, um, yeah, so it, a psychiatrist, at least I'm assuming it's the same everywhere. I've never even thought of this before. A psychiatrist yeah. is a doctor who does the psychology degree. Um, and so there are GP already that can go and sub prescribe pills, whereas a psychologist has some sort of other degree and then the psychiat uh, psychologist degree on top of that. Oh. They can't yeah. prescribe pills. So, I yeah, see. but no, not, not in every school, but some of them do. Yeah. No. Yeah. Reporting the teachers. That would be that'd be fun. The kids give the kids the power. They feel like he man. You know, they, they pull the sword up or whatever, uh, Castle Grayskull, and say they have the power. Yeah, You know, I noticed that <laughs> in Grayskull. my days in high school, we had a counselor. I only talked to him like one time, and it was the only reason you would talk to him is because when you were a senior, they go through your classes to make sure you took all the required classes that, to graduate, and that was the only time I ever spoke to him. Well, actually, I take that back. I spoke to him twice. The only other time was that we have this law here that if you're under the age of, I think, 16, and you're in high school or whatever it is, that if you need to work, your guidance counselor has to sign off to allow you to get a work permit so you're a minor working at a business while going to school. And I had to really? do that too. Those are the only times I ever talked to my guidance counselor. And he was, um, as far as I know, creep. <laughs> so I don't know anything wow. else about it. Did you actually have like a relationship with a guidance counselor? Were they there no. for you guys? Yeah, they, they were there. But I, 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 know that, um, I know that my kids have used, I mean, they pretty active speaking to the guidance counselor, just sort of in socials uh, around the school. I think the counselors do a good job just sort of keeping in touch with the children. But mm -hmm. um, I didn't. I went to the, the typical, you know, career path conversation things. They told me I should have been a surgeon. Um, <laughs> oh, God help the world if that was the case. A surgeon. And, uh, wow. Yeah. And that was it. So I don't know. That's just the only like thing school. they ever told you one time. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be a surgeon. What do your parents want you to do, by the way? Do they encourage you to get into broadcasting? No, God, no. But they supported it. But no, no, no. I actually went to theater school first. I was a sound designer for theater. So I was in the audio production world first and then then went into radio. Um, my dad was a millwright. Um, my mom, uh, she always sort of, while we were kids, worked office jobs. And then mm -hmm. she went on to have a very successful career uh, in and around oil and gas in Alberta as a community relations uh, person. So um, they, they both did that. I mean, get a job, get a pension. That was kind of the, the encouragement. But aside from that, it was 
giver. I mean, yeah. did your parents so, say, hey, I have a great idea. You should do talk radio late at night. No, I don't know. They ever thought talk radio. When I was growing up, we only listened to like a rock station in the house, a lot of classic and then active rock. And that was kind of the the thing we all listened to. So I always liked the morning show. But, you know, you listen to the music or whatever during the day. My dad was big into talk radio, but he always listened to it when I was in school. So he had the personalities during the day that were on. He never really listened to it when we were out of school. So I wouldn't say I was exposed to it an awful lot. Um, but when you say sound design, does that mean you're going into a studio and you are recording and making your own sound effects for other projects? Yeah, like everything fully sounds to speaker placement to microphones processing all that stuff is how it got started and then got into radio afterwards yeah okay so i have um something i play around with i don't know if you have things you fidget with when you're on the air i got like these little things around my desk and i want to make a sound for you and i want you to tell me what the sound is because since you're a sound designer you should be able to know and be able to identify this sound all right you ready to listen very carefully Okay, that was it. Let me try it one more time. Hold oh, on. Can you do, that? do it again? Yeah. Oh, no. I thought I had it the first time. It's hard. It's very difficult to hear this. Let me try it one more time. It kind of sounds like you're striking a match. That's pretty. That's a pretty good one. I actually have these two little Velcro pieces that I continuously push together and rip apart. That's like my fidget oh, thing I do sense. when I'm on air. It's pretty close. Yeah. Oh, you I said you do a Sharpie? Sharpie? Yeah. Yeah. I just hold Sharpies. Yeah. You don't, there's, is it clickable or is it just, is that you hitting it on the desk? No, I open, yeah, that was me hitting it on the desk. I, I just open and close the lid. It's very funny. Isn't I might, strange? I, my old buddy Greg, yeah, my old buddy Greg used to freak out. Oh, I can't find a pen. I can't go on the radio unless I have a pen. It's weird. Um, Wait, do you anyway, carry you know, a Sharpie do that. everywhere? Uh, well, yeah, autographs. I mean, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you a quick no, story or do you have to go? I got a Sharpie story. Uh, we have to you. go, but you can tell me a, do a uh, really quick Sharpie story and then we'll, we'll bail. Unless you want to save okay. it for next week because I'd love to talk to you uh, again. All right. So I, I was lucky enough to spend some time with D. Snyder. He's the lead singer of Twisted Sister. And we went to an outback with his family and he would be approached by people. And in his pocket, he, he kept like three or four Sharpies. And I was like, wow, you have to do that? He's like, yeah, they're always asking. People will always come up to you and ask for an autograph. You have to keep a Sharpie everywhere you go. Just a quick Sharpie story. story. I love that. <laughs> All right, Shane. Ryan Recker should keep a Sharpie close by just in case you ask for his autograph. Thank you, sir. Shh. Shane Hewitt, good to hear from you. Thank you. <laughs> good to hear from you. We'll talk to you next week. Right. Shane is the host of the Late Shift up in Canada, Chorus Radio Network out there. He does a fantastic job. You know, we were actually going to talk about the border with Trump and Trudeau, and we were going to talk about other things that are going on, like what's the traditional things they do in Canada this time of year. But notice how none of that matters when you're having fun and the time flies by. It's Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. Welcome back, Overnight America. I wanted to just real quick let you know that uh, we have another hour of Overnight America next hour. Yeah, you probably already knew that, though, didn't you? But there's a few things that I wanted to get to today that I really didn't have a uh, time to and Kevin Kleen's whole nother story being one of them and when Kevin Kleen does a whole nother story I think he does a great job with it so we might do that at the start of the next hour I might save it for that I uh, am a fan of Kevin's and it has to do with movies a little bit different he said this one's a little different than what you're used to Dan Valone's the U.S. director of more in common aims to rebuild trust and civility through discussions so we're going to have that 
interview next hour. It's something that we played late on Thursday, and I thought, ah, oh, this didn't get a good time. I might as well give it again because who knows? There's probably a whole different audience that missed this, and I thought it was a good interview, so we might as well do it there. Uh, I wanted to do this. Hmm. I don't know if I want to do the Hunter Biden thing anymore. Uh, you know who to put a great video out? was John Stossel. He was talking about the biases in the media. Oh, I thought he did great with this. A lot of the biases in the media that you see are perpetrated over and over and over again. And I thought this is great. And I talk about media bias all the time. Some people go crazy. You know, I've, I've um, some people uh, that I were friends with, at least on Facebook, people I went to school with, they get very upset just at the idea that there could be people inside of a newsroom that are biased. And I think you see this a lot in the national media. Like, for example, um, here's John Stossel. He did a video on uh, example of CNN bias. But they aren't just chasing the numbers. Most of the people who work there consider themselves journalists and try to get it right. I don't know if I agree with that, John. I, I think that more and more journalists are playing to a crowd. They're telling them what they want to hear. What they want to hear? Well, then CNN must believe its viewers want to hear more and more about how horrible President Trump is. Trump's truly jaw-dropping reaction to the rising U.S. coronavirus death toll. This is bias example two. Twist statistics to make Trump look even worse. CNN pointed out that although Trump said the U.S. did the most COVID tests per capita, South Korea and Italy tested many times more. CNN correctly adjusted for population. Yet to make Trump look worse, the same day, CNN stopped adjusting for population to repeatedly say the U.S. has the most confirmed coronavirus cases of any country in the world. That's on Trump. In truth, many countries had more per person, but CNN wanted to lecture the president. You serve us. We have the most cases in the world. Only if you suddenly drop the per capita. Per capita only applies when the argument is bad for Trump. It's- All right, so that was another example. And here's another one, too. Listen to this line of questioning that you hear from the media. CNN contributor Van Jones made it clear that it's CNN. We were prepared for it to be a terrible speech. As long as he didn't embarrass himself, we were going to come out here and praise it. So that's all you need to know. <laughs> Maybe that's more honest than what we used to have. Uh, when I was working at ABC, everybody pretended to be down the middle, but they were really mostly on the left. At least now you know what you get. CNN's primetime lineup. Anderson Cooper, Chris Cuomo, Don Lemon all have the title of anchor, not opinion maker. Fox News Media. Fox calls its primetime anchors opinion hosts. They are biased. Joe Biden even stated the police, ready for this, have become the enemy. Actually, Biden just said this. Last thing you need is an up-armored Humvee coming into a neighborhood. They become the enemy. The opinion people... I give them almost a free ride because, quite frankly, that's what they're paid to do. All right. So these are a couple of examples that John Stossel put out in his most recent video. And I thought it was well worth your time to check out. It's Overnight America KMOX. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.